Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. It is my great pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague, Rabbi Don Gore, formerly of Temple Judea in Tarzana and recently uh, in Ole to the land and state of Israel. Welcome, Don, to the Bully Pulpit. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Very nice. I'm looking forward to chatting. Today we're going to talk about dissent in the Jewish community, particularly in the American Jewish community. With regard to Israel. With regard to Israel, yeah. Because yeah. there's about a lot other of things. other dissent. Right, right. Although many things get uh, cast in Israel uh, uh, colors, sure. even when it has nothing Maybe to do with Maybe reflecting other That's issues right. within our community. That's right. True. So what do you bring to the conversation? That's someone who is unabashedly liberal and left-wing on Israel. It was interesting to watch over 27 years at a pulpit in Los Angeles. The shift from an openness to dissent and critique of Israel to a community that began to really toe the line. It was really afraid. Toe the line, I would would define it in an APEC sort of, of, of supporting the government of Israel regardless of their policy because it was important as a Jew in our identity to support Israel. Now, if I'm, to clarify, if I'm understanding your comments correctly, it's not just towing the line, because in theory there could be a very peacenik left-wing government in Israel that they could be supporting. Implicit in your comments is the dominant culture of, quote-unquote, towing the line in American Jewish Zionist or Israeli politics, right. which is right-wing, or certainly right of you, as you've decided, uh, defined yourself. Yeah. And and I think it's an interesting phenomenon because as I begin to analyze what brought about the change, I think it reflects the shift towards a more conservative nature of the Jewish community in politics in the United States. And I would attribute that actually to the George W. years. George W. Or you wouldn't attribute it to Ronald Reagan? Maybe the roots of it in Ronald Reagan, but I think the vocal nature came about in the George W. years. Now, you think this is fundamentally an ideological shift left to right, not a an emotional shift from confidence to fear? I think it's an emotional shift from people's lack of confidence in their own Jewish identity. Ah. Uh, so I don't it's know if deeper. it's... It's deeper. It's even it, deeper. It, maybe it's deeper than fear in general right, for right. Israel or for right. anti-Semitism. And more as Jews lack strength in their own identity and what it means to be Jewish for them, I believe that Israel is more and more fulfilling that role. I see. Israel is the de facto Jewish identity for the world. And if you criticize Israel, you're criticizing my Jewish identity and and threatening my Jewish identity. Do I hear you saying an identity which isn't strong enough to be filled with other sources of Jewishness, such as Yiddishkeit or spirituality or Torah? Or or textual Torah, exactly. Interesting. So so that's a a powerful critique. Yeah. As as the American Jewish community has weakened its Jewish identity or the foundation of its Jewish identity, Israel filled that vacuum. And thus threatening Israel threatens the Jewish identity of individual Jews in America. Do you think there's an inverse correlation between that kind of Jewish identity being filled by the Holocaust and as the Holocaust recedes, it's being filled by Israel? Absolutely. Okay, so... I think there's still the echo of the Holocaust and that fear. Right, right, it's built built in. It's there. But Israel's manifest, it's a much stronger uh, force in people's identity today than the Holocaust. Okay, so on the one hand, maybe the Holocaust was already filling a void of learnedness and committedness in a large swath of American Jewish population anyway. 
Absolutely. So that's so that's a really powerful critique. On and frightening. Part. Yeah, frightening. For the future of yes, Judaism. That's right. Because if, if Holocaust was the basis of our identity, and if that begins to shift to Israel being the basis of our identity, I don't think we're succeeding. Agreed. As American Jews and creating a, a strength and a confidence and a, a valuing of our Jewish identity separate from an outside force. So tell us a bit about your experience from the pulpit in this regard. It became more and more difficult to critique Israel. You got stronger pushback. Yeah, it didn't ever stop me, by the way. Two examples that, that really had me reflect very deeply on the role of the rabbi and the power. We often critique and say that there isn't much power left in the rabbinate, and yet there was a sermon I gave that critiqued Israel. And, and I always did out of love. This is a congregation knew that I was going to make Aliyah. Right, right. Right? And, and yet... I had somebody come up to me after a sermon and say, thank God you shared that from the Bema. I hate Israel too. Oi. Right, and, and then I knew I'd missed, right? Yeah, I, I'd done wrong. I had done grievous wrong somehow or another. And I had to go back and look at that sermon. What did I do wrong? Did I not have enough Ahavat Yisrael right. in my critique? And, and the second example was after I'd announced I was making Aliyah and talked about why Israel, why it was important for me to, to wrap my life up with the future of Zionism and Israel. In that same sermon, I talked about the Israel that, that I envisioned, that I think Herzl and the founders of Israel envisioned, and talked about democracy and talked about rights for Arabs and minorities within the state, and gave examples, and somebody walked out of that sermon mm. because of my anti-Israel stance. One person? W one family okay. walked out. I mean, it wasn't a massive walk. Right, right. You didn't... But it was just an interesting statement to me that even after making public that I was, was going to wrap up my life with Israel and move there, somebody would feel I was so anti-Israel because I was critiquing what was happening there. Okay, so let's talk about that. What does it mean for American Jews to be uncomfortable with this rather um, within-the-pale critique? I mean, you've put mm -hmm. yourself in the pale. Right. You're not outside the pale. No, I'm we not know... a BDS person. Right, I'm right. Not a... And we know that yeah. Israeli... Jews all the time are to the left of you. Right, probably. if you read right. I mean, it's every not. day. So, okay, so part of it is perhaps um, that it's a cipher for their Jewish identity which lacks other pillars. Right. Part of it is just fearing the critique from someone whose bona fides, as it were, are more or less unassailable. Right. That's, that's a that's a problem from a point of view of kind of democratic discourse, isn't it? Well, yeah, I wanted to come to that because okay. I think underlying this is a huge problem in the Jewish community in the United States of not allowing for democratic discourse. All right. And I fear that it will, that it will seep into other topics, that we won't be able to, because of our differences and not allowing these voices to speak, that we won't be able to honestly discuss other topics. Do you feel we're in that direction already? I worry about racism. There are many in our community who don't want immigrants to come into the country, who are afraid of African-Americans and don't want to hear from their rabbis that we should. I think about the rabbis who spoke very strongly about welcoming Syrian and mostly Syrian refugees yeah. into the country and the pushback that they got. And they got pretty serious. I wouldn't say overwhelming, by the way, just as it was one family that walked out of my sermon. Right. It's not overwhelming, but they got serious pushback from we don't want them. Right? It's Islamic right. terrorism. Yes. Or their other. Right. And the same pushback of rabbis who are standing up for Black Lives Matter and standing up and saying that there are issues of racism in our country. Heaven forbid we brought up issues of racism in Israel. 
Right. Because I don't think American can, Jews are even aware. They can, yeah, aware, and if they of, of the riots, the Ethiopian riots that right. happened this last summer. Right. right. I, I don't think that's it's painful for them to consider it when they are aware. Yeah, exactly. It's painful for all of us. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, we don't want to have to acknowledge it, but I am afraid that we don't have a method for positive discourse, for open, honest. You think J Street is a potential vehicle for that, if it if it can wedge itself into the mainstream conversation more permanently? Yeah, I th if you do a power analysis, the fact that communities are fighting against having J Street be part of the community, whether it's on campus or a conference of presidents, that J Street's making a difference. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so nervous right. about it, right. that it's bringing another voice to the table, right. that, that we need to have voices. I, mean, I think, forget what the voices are. And, and as the liberal, I would have to admit, yes, I would want another voice at the table, even if I disagreed with them, that it's important to have the voices at the table. So let me give you an opportunity to articulate a counter-argument to what is probably... I don't want to speak for APAC, but I think mm -hmm. it's fair to say that the elevator speech for the APAC position right. is the following. Israel is a sovereign democratic state. Who are we or any population outside of that state, non-citizens in particular, who is anyone to try to dictate policy, regardless of ideology, regardless of Zionism? It's a, it's a sort of a sovereign nation-state argument. Right. That is... That is the argument I hear most neutrally and commonly coming from the And they go a step further sometimes in that argument. You could say you're not paying taxes, you're right. not voting for the your government, kids aren't going to and the your kids aren't going to the right. army. So, so I think there's a big hole in that argument. The hole in that argument is that the APEC agenda is supporting an agenda in Israel. Just by, by de facto supporting the government as it is, and their position generally is, we support the government of Israel and its policies. Whichever government that Whichever might be. Whichever government it may be. By doing that, you're supporting a, a policy, a, a platform of policy. Right, but you support, but they would argue that you're supporting a policy that is democratically... Elected. Uh, yeah, and, right. and, and legitimated. And so my second answer that I would respond is that Ahavat Yisrael requires us to speak up when we feel that people are not acting according either to the best interests of Israel. Sometimes outsiders have a different perspective and maybe a better perspective on, on what's best for Israel. And yes, American Jews won't vote and they won't pay taxes, so their voice is a limited voice, but I believe they have a voice. And that Ahavat Yisrael, to love Israel, means to stand up for what you believe is right for Israel, to have your voice in the mix. And that I think APAC, in a sense, shuts down those other voices, and J Street invites other voices. You don't have to believe in J Street's agenda to support the notion that J Street should be at the table. Right. Sim simply because of the democratic spirit of, of exactly. discourse. Exactly. And, 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 and not just democratic spirit, but I really believe in, is, in a sense of Ahavach Yisrael, that yeah. you, a love for Israel means standing up and dissenting when you need to dissent. Again, you can certainly look to Israelis to model that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, again, one could argue that they're allowed to, right? That they're because allowed, they're right, the right. involved citizenry. But 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 the spirit of radical dissent yeah. is pretty. Strong. And to go back to something you and I were discussing before we began this conversation, it's part of our history. This is yes. who we are as Jews. Israel is one piece of our identity as Jews, but the notion of dissent is so deeply embedded in our text, in our history, in our culture. To say at this point that we can't dissent because it's a modern sovereign state, would be to cut off a piece of our own culture and our own history. Right? The rabbis of the Talmud not only allowed for dissent, but they, they included it in the text. They, they modeled it in their very... They modeled it, and, and they kept it historically. 
That's right. If we, if, if APAC didn't allow for dissent, where would the voices of dissent be? They'd be in Haaretz. They'd be, but in a thousand years, historians would look back and say, oh, Israel was the only place where dissent was taking place, and the rest of America, the rest of world Jewry supported Israel's policy. And okay. I think that's not how Jews behave. It's not who we are as a people. So, again, I think it's fair for me to channel the APAC uh, next step in the argument, which would be that of um, vulnerability, which is why I opened my earlier question with the shift from left to right versus the shift from confidence to fear. Right. Because not so implicitly, more or less explicitly in the APAC argument, the next step is, okay, it's one thing to dissent. It's another thing to effectively wash one's dirty laundry in public, uh, even if the dissent is valuable in and of itself, because of the specific case of Israel's vulnerability vis-a-vis the world. So I think that's a narrative that comes out of fear. And I think it's a narrative that comes out of the Holocaust. And I think it denies the fact that, for the moment, Israel is the strongest force in the Middle East, that that the Palestinians are not an existential threat to the existence of the state of Israel. I'm going to leave the Iran nuclear issue right. out of this for the moment, fair enough, although we can enough. come back to it. I think it's a narrative of fear, and I, I, I believe as a human being, as a Jew, that dissent strengthens us, that a multiplicity of voices brings strength to the table and to our future. And so I'm not afraid. I don't think it makes us more vulnerable to admit that we have problems. I actually think that it leads us to better solutions. And does that, is that where the buck stops ultimately on this disagreement? That it, does it boil down to dissent is fundamentally a good thing versus dissent is fundamentally a, a demonstration of weakness? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it may sound simplistic to say that, but, yeah. but I do think that, dis, that not allowing dissent is a fearful move. And A, we don't need to be fearful as Jews today. I wouldn't say we shouldn't be cautious, mm, sure. right? I, I'm not saying give up the army. I'm mm. not saying there is an anti-Semitism in the world. Right. But I think we need to realize the power that we hold in the world today, in politics today, and militarily in the Middle East. And recognizing that power, we have a certain strength to allow for, for dissonance. And I also think that by not allowing it, we're, we're really turning our back on, our, on who we are as Jews. What are some of the sources of inspiration that you have for this kind of thinking, this approach to being Jewish? I'm someone who always resonates to poetry. Maya Angelou touched the hearts of Americans in a way that America isn't necessarily touched by poetry. And I think Israel is touched much more by poetry. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and lyrics. And, yeah, yeah. and lyrics. And yeah. even back to Natan Alterman's columns that would appear, right? there were things that would yeah. appear in Israeli press and... I think Israelis can probably quote Amichai to some extent in a way that Americans can't. And maybe that's just the intimacy of a culture and a society. So I'm, I'm moved a lot by poetry. And, and two poems in particular, I think, represent this discussion that we're having. And, and they both are valid because I think they both provide for valid paths. Um, Natan Zach wrote a poem, Aniwot Set Tamid Enaim, I Always Seek Eyes in order to see the beauty of the world and to praise this wonderful beauty that has no defect and to praise God who made it beautiful, so full and for so beautiful. And I think the poem, in a sense, gives this notion of rose-colored glasses, mm. that our job as Jews, as human beings, is to see the beauty of the world, to wake up and say, Mo de Ani, thank you, God, for this beautiful day. 
And I like to live that narrative because I always want to have a sense of wonder. And that's where I find God. Descent has to always be with the notion of Avat Yisrael, of, of loving the wonder of what we've created. There's another poem by Natan Alterman, and I always bring these two poems together. His poem is entitled With Eyes Wide Open, that you can only live your life with eyes wide open. Um, he, he, the, the refrain is, don't put on glasses, rose-colored or gray. Look with your eyes, your eyes wide open. And yes, I want to wake up with wonder. And yes, I want to have this notion that God has allowed us to create, given us the power to create a miracle in our world. And, and that's the Natanzach. But I also want to always have Alterman of being brave enough to have my eyes open to the reality that we face. The topic of the courage, the desire, the richness of dissent in the American Jewish conversation about Israel comes first and foremost from your long experience um, at the helm of a major synagogue in a major metropolitan area. In light of those two poems, being in the heart of this miracle with all its flaws and actually living it on a day-to-day -day basis, how has that inflected this largely retrospective argument that you have? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a certain irony. I thought, I feared, I don't know, I, I expected that I'd make Aliyah and become more right-wing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, I, if that was an internal fear or if it's what people were expressing to me. When you're there and you're afraid. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in these last few weeks, we've been afraid. Sure. That the natural response would be to be more defensive. And yes, we have to be harsher, and, and we have to. We have no choice. And the irony for me is I've become much more left-wing <laughs> than I was in the States. That, that I actually sat during the Gaza War right in bomb shelters and thought, this is our fault. Oy. This war didn't have to happen. Right? Wow, that, that's, that, that's a strong statement. That we have a government that has never been brave enough to step forward and provide solutions. And I can hear all the responses from every sure. other party of, yes, they never accepted them and they never came back. But the fact is, we have the military power. I go to the gym at Ramat Rachel almost every day, and I drive there, and you turn right into this beautiful kibbutz and gorgeous gym, and you turn left in Surbacher. It's, it's a fairly militant Arab village, so you don't turn left. Right, Never right. forbid, <laughs> forbid you turn left on that road. So as the stabbings began, and it got bad in the very beginning, they blockaded that road. It was completely closed. And, and I began to think that, uh, that I'm going to the gym as if... My life is wonderful, mm. right? I can say moda'ani and life is great and, and I am very thankful to live in Israel. And if I turned left, I'd be blockaded in my own village. And, and there's a certain, you know, am I a part of that? Am I allowing it to happen by simply driving by and turning right? And so living there has really brought deeper pain for me because I see occupation every day. And I see the pain it causes for other human beings and I as a Jew can't, allow it well it seems like we have our work cut out for us yeah it's not easy and yet the the, the miraculous part of me is hopeful in a pretty non-hopeful time yeah indeed. that there is a potential for peace there is a potential for managing conflict maybe I'll rephrase that and not say peace that there's a potential right. to manage conflict and we have the power to do that on that note let's hope for achieving the work that we need to achieve to get there amen I want to thank Rabbi Don Gore for joining us in a fascinating conversation and looking forward to our next opportunity to speak together on the Bully Pulpit. Thanks, Thanks Josh, for inviting me. Pleasure. You've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.